Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Una lectura del libro de Hebreos. Sigan amándose unos a los otros fraternalmente. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. No se olviden practicar la hospitalidad. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Pues gracias a ella, algunos sabemos hospedarnos, hospedaron ángeles. Acuérdense de los presos como si ustedes fueran sus compañeros de cárcel. Y también de los que son maltratados como si fueran ustedes mismos los que sufren. Tengan todos en alta estima al matrimonio y la fidelidad conyugal, porque Dios juzgará a los adúlteros y a todos los que cometen inmortalidades sexuales. Manténganse libres de amor al dinero y conténganse con lo que tienen, porque Dios ha dicho, nunca te dejaré, never will I leave you, jamás te abandonaré, never will I forsake you. Así que podemos decir con toda confianza, So we say with confidence, El Señor es quien me ayuda, no temeré. The Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. ¿Qué me puede hacer un simple mortal? Acuérdese de sus dirigentes que se comunicaron con la palabra de Dios. Consideren cuál fue el resultado de su estilo de vida e imiten su fe. Jesucristo es el mismo ayer, hoy y por los siglos. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday and today and forever. La palabra del Señor. We're in this series in the Gospel of Luke, but I'm going to actually focus more on the Hebrews passage today. In the Luke passage, we hear one of Jesus' many stories about banquets. He tells lots of stories about these kingdom meals, these kingdom of heaven feasts, and they, they um, teach us different aspects of the life of the kingdom of heaven. So much of just life in general centers around meals, centers around eating. It's something we all have to do every day, and it's something that we delight to do together. Um, I, we've sometimes said that church, in its essence, in its center is It's not a lecture hall. It's not a place where we come and learn information. It's not primarily a concert hall. We don't come here to be entertained or to have an emotional experience. We can learn information. We certainly engage our emotions. But church is not a lecture hall or a concert hall. It's primarily a banquet hall. It's a place where we gather as the family of God to feast, to enter into the kingdom of heaven meal. And as I was reading uh, this passage from Hebrews, alongside that, those parables of the kingdom banquets, all of those same themes are in this passage. And so I want to dig into Hebrews, especially just these first two verses. Read these with me, Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Well, let's start with the weirdest part first. 
what is the thing with angels, right? What's going on with the angels there? Um, does that mean when we have someone over to dinner, like it's actually a fat little chubby baby in a diaper? Um, does it mean like there are actual angels there? Um, this is likely referring to an Old Testament story of Abraham and Sarah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but I don't think it's only referring to that. Now, we know that angels are a reality, that there is a spiritual reality in the world. There are spiritual beings, there are angels, there are demons. And sometimes throughout our life as followers of Jesus, we become aware of what's going on in the spiritual world. Sometimes through seeing or hearing or sensing in some way, we can encounter the battle that's going on in the spiritual realm. And in Scripture, we see lots of examples of this. What do angels do? Well, they, they bring messages. They are messengers. That's literally what the word angel means. And so when Jesus is born, an angel brings a message to Zechariah and then to Mary and then to Joseph. He's bringing some word from the Lord. What else do angels do? Well, they bring strengthening, Psalm 91, or uh, protection. They bring protection. Psalm 91 talks about the angels having guard over the people of God. They're there to protect and then uh, also, they bring strengthening. When Jesus finishes his temptation in the wilderness, um, when Jesus is, uh, after he has been in the Garden of Gethsemane, weeping uh, and, and sweating uh, blood, the angels come and they strengthen. And angels do all of those things for us today. They bring messages, they bring protection, they bring strengthening. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not. But I and others here have had experiences like that. And so what does it mean that we could be entertaining angels? Well, let's just think really big picture. Angels are from the kingdom of heaven. And when we practice hospitality, something of the kingdom of heaven is intersecting with earth. There's this heavenly reality to our hospitality. We're participating in the kingdom family of God. There's an intersection that happens there. And, and that brings a blessing. Now let's talk about the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, God has promised to make them a great nation, a people, the people of God but they don't know how it's going to happen. And then one day, Abraham sees three visitors who've been traveling, and so he practices hospitality. He invites them into his tent, lodging. Uh, he prepares a meal, not just any meal, but a, a feast. He goes and he kills a goat, so he brings out his best. He's also giving them his time. He's sitting with them. He's talking and it becomes clear that these three are messengers. They are angels of the Lord. And in fact, there's three of them, which might even suggest this is the Trinity. This is God, God's self. And those three messengers, they bring a blessing to Abraham and Sarah. This time next year, you will have that promised son. Blessing, promise, faith is imparted. Heaven's door opens into our homes when we practice kingdom hospitality. There is a blessing we receive, receive a strengthening, a, a protection, 
a closeness with the Lord. We actually become, as Psalm 84 says, doorkeepers in the house of the Lord. Not only for ourselves, but for others. I read uh, about what it means to be a doorkeeper in a Benedictine monastery. So St. Benedict lived 1,500 years ago, and he wrote this uh, practice, this way of life, kind of rules for their monastic community together. And he wrote a specific job description for the doorkeeper because he thought the doorkeeper was so important. They would sleep right next to the door, either in like a little room right beside the gate or just right in front of the gate. That was their job, to sleep there so that any time, day or night, they could hear someone who was knocking. And they were told to respond, in Benedict's words, with the warmth of love. And they had a phrase that they were supposed to say when someone knocked on the door. They would reply, thanks be to God. And then they'd say, your blessing, please. In other words, no matter who was there, and before they even knew who was there, they're grateful for the chance to practice hospitality, and they know that there will be a blessing that they receive as they are hospitable. The blessing of that person made in the image of God and with the dignity of God, a person that someone, God, someone uh, who God knows and who loves. The blessing that it is uh, more blessed to give and receive and that God loves a cheerful giver. Those and perhaps many other unknown ways that the Spirit wants to bless. And so uh, a contemporary Benedictine writes, um, uh, the way we answer a door is the way we deal with the world. The way we answer the door is the way we deal with the world. Literally sometimes, figuratively many times, the, the monk would answer the door, expect that he not only would give a blessing, but receive a blessing, and then go tell the rest of the monks so they all can participate in what's going on. Sometimes I open the door that way. Sometimes I don't. And honestly, like after two and a half years of COVID, I'm out of the habit of that. Even something simple, like when I answer the door and a neighbor's there, I've spent the last two and a half years stepping out onto the porch to talk to them in the open air instead of just inviting them in to my home. Either of those could be fine, but I actually want to have a habit of inviting people in because my home belongs to the Lord, and I belong to the Lord, and I want them inside of that. I'm out of the habit of shaking hands or giving hugs or high fives for people who are comfortable with that. I want to break some of my, my COVID hospitality bad habits when other people were dangerous and I needed to have protection between me and them. That's true just in a physical, spatial sense, but man, I also feel it emotionally too, where I'm, I'm less energized to connect relationally with people, and I, I don't open the door of my, my heart or my time or my emotions to others. You know, we want City of Light as a church to be a place of welcome for everyone to come and meet the Lord. We've, we've always said everyone here is on the welcome team. 
just like those monks. It's every one of our job to, to greet one another with the warmth of love and especially to greet guests with the warmth of love. And we did our best during COVID, right? You know, as of this week, it's been only six months since we stopped having all of the different protocols here. Only six months after two and a half years of having them. We're still rebuilding good habits of hospitality here as a church family and in our homes. And it makes a difference how we answer the door. Now, to practice uh, uh, hospitality in the ancient Near East, there were a few things involved. There weren't hotels. um, There weren't uh, Google Maps. uh, Maybe those are obvious to you, but try to think about what it would mean to travel and be in a different town and not know where you might be able to stay. And so someone who's doing that, either because they're having to leave their home country and settle somewhere else or their hometown and settle somewhere else, or because they're passing through on, on something that urgently needs done, that that made travelers or strangers vulnerable. And so there's this uh, virtue of hospitality. And when one household would extend hospitality, that the ones who would receive it would be eager for the opportunity to return that hospitality. They'd often give a gift afterwards. So I come and stay at your house and then I go to leave and I, I leave you with a gift. And then if you're ever traveling in my town or my country, you can come to my door. Even generations later, you can say, your grandfather stayed with my grandfather. Here's the gift you gave him. You like keep that token, and then that person like readily reciprocates the hospitality. And that's the part of the context for, for Jesus saying in the gospel passage we read, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't just invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. They can reciprocate. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't reciprocate. But you will be repaid in the resurrection of the just. Hospitality is all about extending not only like physical care, but friendship and relationship. And Jesus is saying, even when you extend that, or especially when you extend that to someone who can't repay you with, maybe they can't even repay you with friendship or kindness, you still receive a blessing because of Jesus. There's still a heavenly uh, economy at play. Whereas we give away our love, our life, our time, our money, our home, our food, as we give it away, no matter what, we receive it back. That's how kingdom households and hospitality works. And uh, even the New York Times has taken notice of that. Uh, Daniel uh, sent me an email a few weeks ago about an article they ran about how people can get out of poverty and into a more secure economic uh, place, into more financial stability. How does it happen? They're trying to study this. And the finding of the study was that 
the, the leading indicator of being able to rise out of poverty if you're born into it is that you're in a community that has connections across class lines. So there's relationships between people who have the stability and the people who don't. But they also find that our society, this is quoting a sociologist, um, Jessica Carlarco, our society is structured in ways that discourage those type of cross-class relationships. They call it a friend bias, a friendship bias. It's hard to meet people in a different economic area than we live in. Um, often they're not in our neighborhood or they're not in the same schools or they're not in, you know, we're in different places. And, and there's people here at City of Light who are in very different places in economic stability, lots of different places. And there aren't very many places in our society where you can have those cross-class friendships. And then there's a heading in this New York Times article that says, this is where the church shines. Although many churches are socioeconomically homogenous, there are many with diversity, and they foster more cross-class interactions than most other social activities. Isn't that amazing? Churches have lower levels of what the researchers call socioeconomic friending bias. Those, that's a quote. Praise the Lord. And doesn't it make sense? Isn't that how it's supposed to be? In the church, we're brothers and sisters, no matter of what economic class we come from, no matter of what, what group or, or what culture or what ethnicity, no matter our age, no matter our education, no matter where we're coming from, we're brothers and sisters. And so those, those relationships actually lead to this kind of mutual care and mutual hospitality and mutual generosity. Um, by the way, this is why the divisive language of our culture right now, the in-grouping, the out-grouping, the of course the left did this, of course the right did this, of course this group is terrible and this group is right. That's why that language which people use to get clicks and to make money, that's why those kind of news broadcasts are so dangerous to our kingdom life because they put people in categories of those who deserve our hospitality and care and those who do not. But the kingdom says there's only two categories of people. We find them right here in Hebrews 1. The first is, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. There are siblings. The Greek there is Philadelphia. Maybe you've heard of it, cheesesteaks, Pastor Mark's from there. Philadelphia, it's love for the sibling. But then the next verse is, and keep showing hospitality, keep showing love for strangers. Love for sibling, love for stranger. Because strangers are all invited to be siblings. Those are the only categories we need. And we're to love both. So what what keeps us from doing that? Well, the ancient world has just as much, not um, philozenia, love for neighbor, but xenophobia, fear for others. They just as much fear for others as we do today. How do you overcome that? Verse 5 actually shows us in Hebrews 5. 
After all of this teaching, all of this coaching about how to love one another, how to love one another as brothers and sisters in the church, how to love strangers, how to love those in our society who are suffering like the imprisoned or the slave, how to love one another um, in our sexual relationships by having purity in marriage and relationships, then we learn how to do that in verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. That's philargyria. That sounds like a disease. It is. We've had sibling love, Philadelphia. We've had stranger love, philozenia. Now we have money love, philargyria. And if you want to love siblings and strangers, you can't love money. And if you love money, you will never love strangers or siblings. The scripture tells us why. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Don't be enslaved to it. And be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What could other people do to me? The trust, the security, the stability is not in our finances, not in our job, not in our economic reality. It's actually in the family of God. It's actually in, that God is our father and Jesus is our brother and we're all brothers and sisters. That's where the true stability is because you know what? You might not be able to work tomorrow. <laughs> you might lose your home the next day. <laughs> Lots of things can happen. Nothing is stable really. The Lord. I read this uh, story in... Um, Esquire magazine, it's from 2016. I've shared it with you once before. It's not a publication I usually read, but I found this one in a search. And it's really interesting. It, it profiles four men with four different income levels. And it kind of interviews them and lists out different parts of their financial reality. Uh, what, what their living situation is. Do they own a home or do they rent or do they own more than one home? What's their monthly grocery bill? Um, different things like that. And then what's their income? One of them's making a million dollars a year. One of them's making $250,000 a year. One of them's making $53,000 a year. And one of them's making uh, just a poverty level amount in 2016. And then it asked all four of them, how much money do you think you need annually to feel secure? To feel like you could do and live and have what you needed or wanted? And the person making $1 million a year said, 25 million, that's my goal. If I get to that level, I feel like I can take care of everything I need to do, take care of my children, make sure they have what they need, 25 million. The person who's making 250,000 a year said 600,000 a year. If I just had 600,000 a year, I'd be able to take care of my family and have what I need and feel secure. 
And the person making 53,000 a year said, 250,000 a year. If I had 250,000 a year, I could feel like I would be secure. Uh, I wouldn't have to have all this anxiety and worry. My kids would have what they need. And the person making something right at the poverty level said, if I just had $50,000 a year, then I would feel like I had what I needed. But of course they wouldn't. If you had 50, you'd need 250. And if you had 250, you'd need 600. And if you had 600, you'd need a million. If you had a million, you'd need 25. So the writer here says, if you want to love your siblings, if you want to love the stranger, you can't love money. You can't make that place of security. You can't make that your place of stability. You can't make that your value. Because no amount of money is ever enough to feel secure. So get free from the dependency on that and put your trust in the Lord. We can be generous and hospitable because of God's generosity and hospitality, because of the kingdom family's generosity and hospitality. And that's what the church for generation has done. It's been the church who's cared for the sick when no one else has wanted to. It's been the church who's built hospitals and who's built schools. It's the church in our country who adopts more children than any other group by far, who sends aid to places that are suffering, who provides, as the article from the New York Times said, safety nets and upward mobility where people can be stabilized and supported through the love of sibling and stranger. And to do this, we don't need to just open our, our homes or even just open our wallets. We have to open our hearts. We have to open our hearts to one another. Things can happen in life where you can be hurt by someone. And if you've tried to open your heart to someone, you have been hurt. <laughs> That's what it means to love. You could be hurt by someone or a group of people that can make it hard for you to open your heart to anyone who reminds you of them. You can be hurt in your family. You can be hurt in the church. And that makes it hard to open our hearts to one another, to love each other as siblings and to love strangers. Maybe you could even right now identify that hurt that you've experienced and the way that you experience your heart closing off in that kind of situation or with that kind of person, with that kind of group. It's only the healing of Jesus that can keep our hearts open. It's only his love because Jesus is the one who out of the generosity of the Father's heart came to bring us God's self. In Jesus, God gives his very own life, his very self. He gives everything to us. In the ultimate act of generosity, he actually allows us to welcome him to be the ones practicing hospitality. So Jesus comes to us so that we can then come to him. But it's, it's God's generosity. It's, it's Jesus, the gift of him. And that is the vulnerability of God. 
That is God putting himself in a situation where he knows because of his love, he will be hurt. He will be killed. He will be crucified. He will be betrayed. His best friends will fall asleep when he needs them, will run away when he's in his most vulnerable moment. Jesus knows what that feels like to be hurt by the people you love and you trust. In fact, every week here at the table, we come and we say on the night that Jesus was betrayed and handed over to suffering and death, Jesus keeps his heart wide open to all of us who have betrayed him, who have let him down, who have not loved or followed him. And he's the only one that can help us keep our hearts open to one another. It's only experiencing his healing at the cross that he can bring our hearts open, knowing that we're going to get hurt again, but knowing even in the pain of, of being hospitable and being generous when it's not returned, that we meet Jesus there, that he's with us in that suffering. Hospitality is not only opening the doors of our home, it's opening the doors of our heart. And we can do it because that's what the Lord has done for us. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What does that look like? What can that look like for us? In the ancient Near East, it could be providing a place for someone to stay for a while providing meals, having people over, giving financial gifts when needs arise, even supporting someone while they get back up on their feet. One of the foundational ways we do this as a church is to give to our local church financially. And those gifts allow our church to function as a healthy household, as a kingdom of heaven family. And many of those gifts go directly to caring for and supporting siblings here in the church and strangers in the community. And so we give generously and sacrificially to our local churches. But we're also opening our heart. And so it's not just a gift of money on a Sunday, but there's, there's actually a deeper kingdom household reality we're talking about here. A deeper call to have our lives together. A call of, of collaborative care for one another. Where because we're in each other's homes and in each other's lives and praying for one another and sharing and opening our hearts, we know what's going on for one another. And we know how to care. We allow ourselves to be cared for and to care. I was listening to this uh, commencement speech from the comedian and late night show host, uh, Stephen Colbert, who's very funny, but he's a, also a devout Catholic. He's a, he's a Christian. And he's talking about how in improv, um, you always have to make sure you don't consider yourself the most important person in the improvised scene you're doing, but you're there actually to serve one another. But it works because everyone else is also there to serve one another. There's this mutuality of serving happening. And he says, you know it's happening really, really well when after you've done something together, you don't know who came up with what joke. In the midst of that collaboration and uh, serving one another, it's been so mutual, you can't even delineate. 
And that's what the church is supposed to be like. Where we're caring for one another and receiving care. And we don't know who owes who. We don't know who's the one giving and who's the one receiving. <laughs> because we're all giving and all receiving. And all experiencing that kingdom hospitality economy. Where Jesus is just pouring out his generosity to us as we care for one another. Or maybe you'd say, I don't have much to give. Be generous with what you have. Hospitality and generosity are not measured in dollars. Be generous with what you have, but also value generosity and hospitality. Make it a line item in your budget. Be intentional. Try to grow the amount that you give toward kingdom uh, community like this. Maybe you'd say, well, I don't have a great home for having people over, or I, I, I don't have this or that, or I, I, I don't know how people will feel about it. Remember what Pastor Bonnie has taught us about hospitality. It's not a performance. We're not offering a performance. We're, we're not entertaining. <laughs> we're just offering our presence. We're just being with one another. Maybe you'd say, I don't have much time these days. It's okay. Be generous with what you have. Be sacrificial, but also make it a value. Look at your calendar and plan times to practice being with others, siblings and strangers. But here's the one I hear most in this post-COVID reality. I hear, I don't have the energy. I just don't have the energy to live like this. And trust me, I get it. I get it. I feel that. We've been talking in this series how sometimes to hear the good news of Jesus, we have to hear the bad news. And I've just been reading this and I've been like, well, I could keep doing what I'm doing and neglect to show hospitality to the stranger. Or I can change something and be more in line with the kingdom of heaven. I think that's the challenge. Don't neglect it. But here's the, here's the kind good news of that. It's in the practicing of hospitality, of life together with one another, that we receive energy for our life together. We receive the angelic strengthening and protection and blessing. If you don't have energy, this is what brings you energy, those relationships together. Maybe our lack of relational energy comes primarily from our lack of relationship. Maybe our, our unending need for self-care in part, I and mean, there's healthy things in that, I've talked about that before, but maybe in part it's because we haven't cared for others or let others care for us. Jesus teaches that when we give, we actually receive. And when we sow, we actually reap. Even social science tells us that isolation makes us more depressed and more anxious and more lonely. And being together actually gives us the gift of one another and of Jesus. 
We need faith to see that there's more happening when we practice this type of kingdom community than what we can see. Faith to believe that Jesus is there and he'll give us what we need. Now maybe you'd say, I just, I don't have, I don't have what I need right now. Have you asked Jesus to give it to you? Maybe you have, and I just want to encourage you to keep asking. If you knock, he will answer the door be opened. But if, if you haven't asked, ask Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm feeling so relationally empty, and I don't have any energy. Would you give it to me? Would you help me? Go to a brother or a sister and say, I'm really struggling to relationally engage. It'll take courage to say that, but then say, will you pray for me? Will you care for me in that? You're saying, I am so scared to give generously or sacrificially. Have you asked Jesus to give you the faith and the trust? Have you asked a brother and sister to pray for you and care for you in that? If you do, you'll be a blessing to them. That's how it works. When you receive care, you bless the one giving you care. It's a win-win. Have you asked the Lord, I'm having a hard time opening up my heart to you, Jesus. I'm having a hard time opening up my heart to the church or to this church. Have you asked him to help? Have you asked a brother and sister to help? Jesus will answer those prayers. He will give you what you need. That's part of the kingdom of heaven economy. He has a blessing for you. We, he's a blessing for us. We just have to open the door. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this challenge. Help us receive this blessing. Minister your healing to our hearts. And as we continue in prayer and worship, would you give us what we need today? listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.